0: As you're taking a seat, go ahead and take out your smartphone or grab a Bible that we provide as you enter into the auditorium. We've got Bibles available for you right outside the tunnels, or you could utilize your smartphone. And uh, in just a few moments, we're going to be taking a look at Hebrews chapter 12. Now, City Church is in the process of looking at the idea of the Olympics in conjunction with this simple phrase, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And one of the reasons why we're doing this is because you know, and I know, maybe not personally, but you can kind of sense that the Olympic athletes have done whatever it takes in order to become ready for the Olympics. Now, when we're talking about the Olympics this morning, last week we looked at wrestling. Wrestling. This week, we're going to look at some biblical principles from the idea of running. Running. And so as we look at running this morning, before we get there, um, how many of us have been watching the Olympics? Raise your hand. You've seen the Olympics. Almost all of us. Now, I want a little help. This is always a little dangerous to do, but I want to hear what your favorite Olympic event is badminton, judo. What else? Wait a second. Stop, stop. Over here. Favorite one. Gymnastics. Here. What's your favorite one? I guess I heard diving. Over here. What's your volleyball and ice hockey? But that, oh my goodness. Ice hockey, summer Olympics, Andrew. Andy, summer Olympics. We need to go with that. You know, I I have to confess, I have watched sports during the Olympics. It had been awesome, but it's almost like you never hear about them again for the next four years. Have you noticed that? I was enamored with fencing. How many of you saw a fencing match? Have you seen one? I was enamored with that until I saw this fencer take off whatever that is. It looks like the Darth Vader hood. And they took that off, and as they did, sweat just poured out of that thing. And I thought, not nope, never gonna try that. And this is a true story. I went next door to my neighbors, and they're having a garage sale. And you will never believe it. They had two fencing outfits for sale. The Darth Vader head, that, that I guess cloth protector and the saber. They had two sets of it. So I bought it, and my wife and I have been fencing in our living room. I'm only kidding with you. I actually didn't buy it, but they literally did have it for sale. It, I don't know what it started it at, but both entire sets were down to 5 bucks By the time, and that tells you how famous or how many people want to do fencing And all I could think of literally was, when I was looking at those two sets, was I could hear my mother's voice when I was young, you're going to poke your eye out, thank you very much. It's all I could think of. But look, these events are incredible. I mean, the talent that we have and the achievement of humankind. And I think most of us have been watching gymnastics with this young lady who they're saying is the greatest gymnast ever, ever. And I watched one of her routines, and this is literally what went through my head. How is it that her head does not eject off of her body? Have you ever thought that when you're watching them whip and tumble? I mean, how is it that their head just doesn't? Uh, Anyway, that's just me. I just planted a beautiful thought in your mind. And then to see this Phelps guy, how many gold medals does he have now? 23 gold medals. That's absolutely shocking, especially for me, where I can barely do the doggy paddle, let alone swim-like. I'm just so impressive. But you know what's incredible? Sports have been at the epicenter of culture for literally thousands and thousands of years. In Greek culture... If you won the Olympics, you were given a laurel wreath, but it just wasn't a laurel wreath. I mean, literally, you didn't pay taxes for the rest of your life. Some of the athletes were actually viewed as deity. Some of you are going, if I knew that, I'd have tried a whole lot harder to be a better athlete. you imagine never paying taxes again? All of us are going, of course I can imagine that. But you just picture the import of sports in culture that has literally gone on for thousands and thousands of years. And therefore, it makes it into Scripture. And in Scripture, often the writers of the Newer Testament look to these sports metaphors in order to help us to understand and the people of their day understand the biblical principles or the spiritual principles they were trying to teach. Now interestingly enough, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, we pick up the theme of running, the theme of running. And so we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I've got the text up on on the screen, and I want you to read it out loud with me. Now here's the context. We're not really sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. We're not real sure. It's not signed. A lot of people believe or they have opinions about who wrote the book of Hebrews, but quite honestly, we're not sure. But what we do know is the writer of the book of Hebrews understood the Jewish faith incredibly well. And the way the book is written, there's a huge reliance on understanding the Jewish faith, and the writer helps people to understand how Jesus Christ is connected to that. So here we're picking up, Hebrews chapter 12. Now know this. Hebrews chapter 11 is an incredible chapter. If you get bored during this sermon, don't space out. At least take your Bible and read Hebrews chapter 11. What the writer does is they place before us famous Old Testament people that lived by faith and did incredible, incredible things. What's fascinating is the list does not include some people you think it would, and then it includes some people that you think it shouldn't. One of them that's mentioned is Rahab the prostitute. She hid the the Israelite spies when they were moving into the Promised Land. She hid them in her home and she kept them alive. And because of that, God blessed her, and she was spared what was coming from God's judgment. But here she makes the list of these famous people in the Older Testament. And the truth of it is, I wouldn't put her there. I'd pick someone else. But it's incredible to think who is viewed as the heroes of the faith. So what we're doing is we are trans, we're transitioning from Hebrews 11, which has this incredible list, to now the writer of Hebrews is really helping us to own our own faith. And the metaphor that's used is running. So if you would read with me Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Read it out loud with me if you would. Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's read. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Wow. So when you think about coming off of Hebrews chapter 11, where there's these incredible exploits, they're put there to encourage us and to inspire us. But now the writer of Hebrews gets very practical in such a way that the people who are his contemporaries would have instantly understood what he was writing. Now, when we look at this, There's a couple of things in background that I think is key for us to understand. First of all, in the Olympics, we have running. You may not know this, but running is one of the oldest sports for the Olympics, but the marathon is actually one of the first sports that was ever put into what we'd call the modern-day Olympics. Running was placed there. Here the writer of Hebrews begins to talk about the importance of running a race, and in running that race, there's a course set out for us, and in running through that course, he begins to give us some advice. Now first of all, what this writer does is understands the culture. There is a cloud of witnesses. A cloud of people, I believe he takes them from Hebrews chapter 11 and says, there's this crowd that has gone before us. They have run the race well. And in that, they're sort of cheering for us. They're, They're calling for us to make it where they're calling for us to achieve and to make it to the end and to live for God and to live for Christ and to fulfill that call in our lives. But here's a couple things that I think are important to know that you can't pick up immediately in English. One of them is this. It says this, that we are to persevere in the race and we are to run this race that God has placed before us. Now, the word for race here is a Greek word that we get the English word agony from. Agony. It's agon or agon, agony. That's the word for race. It could have been match. That word could have been translated contest. It could have been translated into some other event where there's huge effort and agony is involved. Now, the reason why I share this is because now you get to get the sense of what God to the Scriptures, calls us to. This isn't something, the spiritual life isn't something, the spiritual race is not run by resting on our laurels. This is something that we apply like an Olympic athlete to the point of agony. Now, one of the thoughts that struck me One of the thoughts that struck me in reading from these two verses of Hebrews is this, is that the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. The Christian life is a marathon, it is not a sprint. It is a long distance thing. And the reason why I'm sharing that is, if you're a newer follower of Jesus, you've recently said yes to Christ, please understand that what's being talked about here is a distance run. This isn't the 100-yard dash. This is a marathon. It's a long, long race. Now, how many of you are impressed when you watch the Olympics with the sprinters? Are you impressed by that? The speed with which they can run and how quickly they can get there. But you also notice that it's not that long of a distance that they're hanging on to that speed. A lot of them, believe it or not, after 100 yards or some of the other metered uh, length of races, They kind of have this short burst of speed, and you see this huge muscle structure, and there's these ladies and men that are just amazing athletes, and you look at them, and you go, that's an athlete. But then you look at the marathon athletes, and I'm not being negative here, but from the waist up, they look like skeletons. Have you noticed that? And it's pretty obvious that the first athlete was training for a certain event. The second athlete is training for distance. It's a long, long way to run for a marathon. As we look at this, I want to give you the brief history of a marathon. What we know is that there was the Battle of Marathon that took place either in August or September of 490 B.C. There was a battle between the Greeks and the Persians. And there's a German philosopher who also understood history. His name was L. Siegfried, and I want you to listen to what he wrote about this battle. Remember, the Greeks and the Persians are in this battle at Marathon, and here's what he writes. Listen. He writes, when the Greeks were fighting at Marathon against the spiritually unconnected mass of Persians, they were fighting as people who had clear awareness of their right to have a free political life. The consciousness of mankind, listen to what he says, was born at Marathon. The consciousness of mankind was born at Marathon we the people of the west must also sh- we must always show deep respect to the place where human dignity was established after the battle legend has it that the greek messenger phidippides ran from the battlefield at marathon to athens in order to relay the news of victory he only said the following We were victorious, and then he collapsed and died. That's where the marathon comes from. This guy ran from the battlefield to Athens. He delivered the message, and he died. That's precisely why I will not be running a marathon. That's why. Now, looking this up, A modern-day marathon is 26.218 miles. That's a marathon. 26. Did you hear that? 26 miles. I believe that's why God gave us cars. I believe that. But I'm impressed with people who can run marathons. I was a 5K runner when I was in high school. I ran cross-country, 3.2 miles. I cannot even imagine running 26 miles, but I have a question for our church family. How many of us here have ever ran in some type of a road race from 5k or beyond? I want you to stand. Go ahead and stand. Seriously, go ahead and stand. If you've ever ran 5k or greater. now. When I go to different increments of mileage, when I hit yours, be seated. How many of you have ever ran a 5K? Raise your hand. If that's the longest you've ever run, please be seated. See, I should be seated now as well. I can't. I'm going to remain standing. How many of you have ever run a 10K? Raise your hand. And if that's the furthest you've ever run, please be seated. Next, how many of you have ever run a half marathon? Raise your hand. If that's the furthest you've ever run, please be seated. They are dropping like flies. (laughs) Now, how many of you have ever run a full marathon? Raise your hand. All right, now. What I'm going to do is, wow, there's a lot of you. I'm thoroughly impressed. Um, Yeah, let's give them a hand. Good job. Excellent. Now, I have a question. I'm going to name the number of marathons, and when you get to the number that you've run, won't you be seated? So, one marathon. Incredible wisdom. They ran one and stopped. Uh, Two marathons. Be seated after two. Three marathons, four marathons. Do we have anyone left? We do. Andy, how many marathons have you run? You've run five. Congratulations, you can be seated. How many of you are like me and you never have any intention of running a marathon? Be loud and proud. There we go. But since I've never run this race, I'm going to ask a friend of mine to join me up front. Her name is Janice. Everyone say good morning, Janice. Come on up here. Here she comes. Let's say good morning. Here we go. Again, say hi, Janice. Janice, if you'll come stand right here to my right. And so um, I asked Janice to join me up front, and I asked her to bring her medals with her. So if very quickly you could tell us which marathons that you've run, which ones are they?
1: Uh, I ran the Richmond Marathon twice and the Boston Marathon twice.
0: Wow. That's impressive. And you've got four medals that means that you've finished. I did finish. Okay, now, I know more about wrestling than I do running marathons. So what I've done is I've brought her some help that's great for wrestling, but I want to find out if she's interested in this for running marathons. Here, if you would hold that. I'll hold the mic. Hold this. I have a question. Would you want to run a marathon with those in your hands? No, thank you. All right, you're now holding 24 pounds. Why would you not want to carry this while you're running a marathon?
1: It's heavy. And for the distance of the marathon, every extra pound that you carry makes your race one minute longer.
0: Wow. So you can hand me that one. You just ran 12 minutes faster. I'm trying to help you. Now give me this one. You've just run 24 minutes faster in your next marathon. And uh, I want you to tell us a little bit about what is it like to run a marathon? What is it like to train for one? Um, How long do you train for?
1: You should start with a 30-mile base. So you want to work up your training to you're running 30 miles a week. And then it's about four months for me of specific marathon training where you probably put in 600 miles during that time, um, as well as some strength training and time in the pool and things like that.
0: Okay. How many miles? 600. So you've run 600 miles.
1: Over the course of four months, yes.
0: Okay. How many of you are getting more and more comfortable with the idea of a car? The moment (laughs) You're kind of like, wow. (laughs) So with that, um, you told me on the phone that you have a coach. I do. You have a coach. And that what does the coach do for you in the midst of the marathon training?
1: He lays out my training plan for the four months. And let me first say that I got... I got into running about seven years ago, um, starting with the women's four-miler, and I was vehemently against running distances. So at that point, four miles for me was a distance race. I did not have a plan. I just said, yeah, I I was going to do this with a friend, and I just got some running shoes and started running, and I hated it. I was miserable. I was doing it all wrong. I didn't know at the time I was doing it all wrong. Um, How can you
0: run wrong? I'm not real sure. Well,
1: it's, you know, I was running with this friend and I asked her what her goal pace for the race was. And she told me and I was like, oh, at that point, my pace was about three minutes a mile slower than what she intended to run. I see. So I immediately said, okay, I need to step up my plan. And I started training too fast, too soon. And I was miserable. I hated it. I was getting exertion, migraine headaches. I I I don't I said, I don't understand why people run. This is awful. It stinks. You All right, know. let's push
0: the pause button. How many of you can totally identify with what she's saying? Right now, you're like, migraines, I'm um, anyway, go ahead.
1: Um, so we did the four mile race, and then the same friend said, Let's uh, let's sign up for the Charlottesville ten miler. And I said, No, thank you. I'm done. That was far enough. I, I can't run ten miles. And she said, you know. I don't think you're the type of person to not even try. She kind of threw that gauntlet down. She said, why don't we do it together? We'll try. And if you don't like it, you can drop out. Okay. I said, okay, that gives me an out. And then I got hooked. Then I got in with the coach and with other runners who knew what they were doing. Um, And so the coach would send me weekly my plan for the week. This is how many miles I want you to run. This is how fast I want you to run them. Um... And I stuck to the plan. I just followed the plan, and it worked.
0: So the plan is what you need, and then you it really the does work. You need the plan. So then you ran the 10-miler. And then, and then the w-
1: same friend said.
0: You need new friends. I'm just going <laughs> to put that out there. You might want to find some new friends, but She go said, ahead. you know, we
1: ran 10. Now uh, you can run 13.1, which is a half marathon. I'm like, that sounds reasonable. I could probably run three, you know, 3.1 more miles. Let's okay. do it. So then we did half marathons together. That's
0: somewhat reasonable, but then how do you go from 13.1 to 26? Um, That just seems like an insane leap to
1: me. It it was an insane leap to me, too, and I got in with a different group of friends. Um, (laughs) See, I told
0: you, you got to get new friends. Who
1: were experienced marathoners, and they kept assuring me and encouraging me that, yes, if you ran your half marathons you can do this. And they were all doing it at the time and, and basically said, we're going to help you. We're going to run with you. We're going to help you train. And I was a novice. I didn't know anything. I mean, these people were getting up at 5.30 in the mornings, three, four, five days a week to get their runs. in before they went to work, I didn't even know what it meant to run in the dark. So one of my novice wow. questions was, "What do I what do I need to run in the dark?" <laughs> you know, I, did, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, I understand. I was, how do you how do you um, so it is dark at
0: five thirty in the morning? I don't know. Yeah. I'm never up at five thirty in the morning to go running, leastwise. But yeah. So
1: they inspired me, and that's how I signed up for my first marathon.
0: How about that? So you started running seven years ago. Yes. And how many years ago did you run your first marathon?
1: Let's see. That would have been 2011.
0: Wow. So you have run four marathons in the past five years. Wow. Anyway, I'm impressed. or you kind of impressed by this? Is there any other thing that you would want to just mention about running a marathon? Is there anything else that comes into your mind about running a distance race?
1: Yes. Um, the race itself, um, a couple things. When you get to the starting line, it's, um, it's a mixture of emotions as far as you're nervous, you're excited, you're worried um, and incidentally when you're training for a marathon you never run the full 26.2 miles during training. So when i hit the starting line of my first marathon the most i had run was 21 miles. And so that's 5 miles which doesn't sound like a lot compared oh, it to does. 21. It sounds um, like a lot. But it i does. D- i didn't even know if i could make the full distance wow. at that time. Um, but for me, the race is divided into three parts. The first part, you, you, you get the starting off the starting line, and the biggest thing you can do is let everything go. You, you have to drop not only, we were talking about physical weight, but all the things that can weigh you down mentally. The worry, the fear, at that point, it's too late for any of that. You need to let it go. You need to trust your training. I did. I trusted my coach. I actually trusted God. I said, you know, you got me to the starting line without injury, which means you must want me to do this wow. for whatever reason. Right, um, and so the first third of the race is great. Everybody's excited, everybody's happy. The crowds are cheering, and runners are running, and they're waving. And I remember thinking, oh, look at that cute little dog on the side. That's so cute. And somebody had a sign, you know, after the first mile that said, "Yay, way to go! You're almost there." I'm like, oh, that's cute. That's re- that's really cute. Um, and runners are talking to each other, and you're running by people that have stereos, uh, playing music. And I remember for one of the marathons, they were playing Happy by Pharrell. Oh I'm like, yeah. oh, I love that song. I do feel happy. This is great. <laughs> um, so that's the first third. And you actually spend the first third of the race, at least I do, trying to hold yourself back. Hmm. Because you're so excited, you can run too fast and you'll pay for that later. On um, The second third of the race is what I call my get down to business mode. And things become a little more serious. And I settle into the pace and... Um, really get some work done, is the way I like to think of it. But the third part of the race, I think, is more applicable to what uh, you're trying to get across. And the last third um, is where things start to break down physically. You're exhausted, you're tired. Um, things, for me, break down mentally. That's where hmm. negative thoughts start coming in. Like, why are you doing this? This is stupid. Who cares if you run a marathon? This this hurts. It doesn't feel good. Wow. Um, why don't you slow down? That's what my brain said. Like. You know, is it gonna hurt? Well, like, what if you walk just for 30 seconds? Wow. Just slow down. And it's at that point where you pull from somewhere that you don't even know exists. Wow. You know, your brain controls your body, and your brain Is telling your body to stop and slow down and your body wants to do that. So in order to keep moving you have to find something in here that's overcoming what this is telling you. Wow. To keep going.
0: Wow. How many of you are inspired? To go run a marathon at this moment. Are you ready to go? I'll help it? you. <laughs> All right, for those of you who want to run a marathon, Janice will be out in the foyer after. Let's give her a hand as she's seated. Thank you very much. Thank you. You know, thinking about running like that, there are some real serious principles to apply biblically to our walks with Jesus, because the writer is clearly telling us that this is a distance race. And as we look at that, I want you to continue to think about what Janice said, because one of the primary realities that you hit is that the writer here tells us that you've got to let go everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Two different things. We are called to let go everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So what I did in preparation for this teaching, I spent so much money on my son getting a classics and religion degree from the University of Virginia, I said, I want you to explain these two words for me. So he did. What he talked about was the idea of something that hinders is something that can trip you up, and if you were to picture running, let's say, a cross-country race, this would be a rock that's stationary. So you gotta watch out for that, and what is written to us by the writer of Hebrews is that spiritually there are things that will trip you up, and you and I sit here and we think through what keeps me or hinders me from growing spiritually. Recently, I was talking to someone where City Church is their home, and we were talking about their spiritual journey. Here's what they said to me. They said, well, my spiritual journey hasn't been going as well as I had hoped. And I said, well, what do you think it is? Here's what they said. They said, because I have not prioritized my time so that spirituality and walking with Jesus and following Jesus and serving others is a priority. So what they said was, ultimately, I need to reconfigure my priorities so that Christ and following Jesus and serving others becomes a priority. So I said, well, what does that look like? They were very simple. They got out their smartphone And they said, I need to begin to schedule my life differently. So a hindrance to them, something that would trip them up, was something sort of practical that they applied to their lives. What was hindering them was priorities, how they were scheduling their time, and so on. Now the next one is, though, is the sin that so easily entangles. The sin that so easily entangles. We move from hindrances to something that will entangle you. The hindrance thing, that's something we can figure out and we can get rid of. Now we're going to talk about what the writer of Hebrews calls the sin that so easily entangles. What my son shared with me was this. That word entangles, or so easily entangles, means this. It is good at entangling you. It's good at it. It's good at it. And so whatever this thing is, it will eventually wrap itself around you, and you kind of go from the rock that you could trip over now to something that gets a life of its own reprioritizing your life, scheduling time where you're going to grow spiritually, making sure that you're in a life group where people are journeying with you. Those are things that you can do that would remove hindrances. This goes from rocks to weeds. Something that has a life of its own. This thing will entangle you it will gain ground on you, and it will literally rope you down. So in looking at this, I thought about some things that from my own life or maybe from the lives of others has been a sin that has entangled them. Here's an example. First one, a lie. When you or I tell a lie, it begins to take on a life of its own. When you tell a lie, then you have to remember who you shared it to. And once you've told the lie to them, usually it's not before long where you have to tell another lie. And before you know it, something, if you've lied about that it's big enough, it can literally take on a life of its own. And it's not long before that one lie that you knew was not right, it was a sin and you knew it, but you told it anyway, now it begins to grow up. It's like a vine that wraps itself around you and it captures you and begins to squeeze the life out of you. I saw something once when I ran cross country in high school that I'll never forget. The high school where I ran the last couple of years of my high school career, if you even want to call it that, I was running for a high school in New Jersey. And the way our course worked was they literally took a huge, wide, probably eight-foot deck type of a mower. They would literally plow through the underbrush. They would just chop it all up. And that was the course that we ran because the high school didn't have much property. So literally, you're running through briars and they kind of just wove through there in order to get the mileage they needed to suffice the 3.2 miles. Now, I remember running in a race. The guy in front of me passed someone that was running a little bit slower and as he ran by, his hand hit a briar bush that they had kind of bushwhacked through. When his hand hit it, That entire bush spun out, and the guy behind him ran straight into it. Now, when you run, as Janice mentioned, you want to have as little weight as possible. So what you're wearing is just absolutely silk weight thin. And I watched this guy running full speed, and this bush swung out, and he literally ran into it, and it wrapped all around his leg. Now, I would like to say I did the Christian thing. That would mean stop and help him. What I thought was God has removed him from the race so that I can place more highly. But I saw what it's like, literally in real time, to see a runner get entangled by something. You begin with a lie. The next thing that I know has entangled people that I know and love is illicit material online. I have watched as this illicit material has begun to get a life of its own and it begins to wrap its tentacles around this person and they're trying to run spiritually but they're finding that this thing has gained ground and it's taken on a life of its own. Now what I know is, oftentimes when we become involved with sin that so easily entangles us, we don't really picture it as something that will gain a life of its own, but it does. I've observed it. And I've watched the damage that it has done, not only to the spiritual life of people, but I've observed the decomposing of relationships because of things like this as well. At times, people begin in things that get a life of its own because it's fun. It's fun. So they begin to participate in this because it's fun. But it's not long before what was fun begins to take them over and they can no longer shake free of it. It has a life of its own. I have a friend of mine. His name is Todd. He's a little bit older than me, and he went to UVA when he was an undergrad. And he told me a story, and it was a story that he was laughing about, and it was really funny to hear about it, and here was his story. When he was a college student at UVA, someone for fun dared him to hop on the coal train. There's a coal train that comes through Charlottesville on its way to Lynchburg, and somebody dared him. They said, hey, Todd, I dare you to jump on the coal train. It was a November night. He thought, why not? So he talks about the train had slowed down as it came through Charlottesville. It slowed down as it was going through UVA. He was raised in Charlottesville, and he knew that that coal train would stop right on the other side of Seaville. So he jumped on board, he climbed to the the top, he shinnied up the side, stood on the coal and went like this. There was a mound of coal coming out the top of that car and he was standing on it going like this and all his buddies were cheering. The problem was the train did not stop on the other side of Charlottesville. It began to gain speed. And at first he thought, I'd better jump. No, it's going to stop. I'd better jump. No, it's going to stop. And then when he determined, I'd better jump, it was going too fast. When he got to Lynchburg, (laughs) Lynchburg, and here's his story. He said, Pete, we were coming out of Mem Gym. I was walking with my buddies, and all I had on, because he was a basketball player, were his basketball shoes, a thin, thin pair of sweatpants, and a T-shirt. And he said, I'll be honest with you, I was almost dead when I got to Lynchburg. Hypothermia had set in. I was so cold, I couldn't stop shaking, and I was convinced that I was going to die. Now, it's a great story until you think about sin that so easily entangles. Because a lot of people start out in sin because it's fun. The problem is the train picks up speed. And then before you know it, you're thinking about jumping off, but you can't. And then it begins to gain speed and gain speed and gain speed. And literally for you, it becomes a runaway train. And the ability to get off becomes so much more catastrophic than what it would have been like to listen to God and to never get on the train. The last thought that I've got for us when we talk about running this distance is this. The writer says, let us run a race. When I was listening to Janice up here, she was very clear. Although she was out there running for herself, she was not running alone. There was a coach that had a plan. She had friends that were involved with this. I don't know, maybe they were faster than her, maybe they were slower than her. But I can promise a lot of the training was done with other people. And yes, she had to run it herself, but she was not running alone. And if you were to look a little bit deeper into Hebrews chapter 12 and those verses that we just read, the writer of Hebrews brings something to us that I think some of us really critically need to be reminded of, and it's this. If we're going to run a distance race, we have no choice, but it involves perseverance and focus. The writer says this. If you were to look in Hebrews chapter 12, here's what the writer says. And let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. In other words, there's a course to run. There are no shortcuts. The only way to get there is to run it. And the writer says this. Run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Following Jesus and serving others is the understanding that there is perseverance involved. Our Christian life is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And above all else, there's the understanding of focusing on Christ. Here's what fascinates me. The writer of Hebrews just got finished writing all the famous people of faith. And what he is saying is, as a follower of Jesus, we do not focus on them. We focus on Christ. For some of us, our Christian life and our perseverance has been affected. And it's been affected because someone we know maybe has fallen in the race and because they have fallen we too feel like giving up there are others of us who were running the race and we feel like we're running so much more quickly than others little bit of pride is beginning to come in there's sort of this spiritual swelling And yet when you look at it, here's what I want to say. When we compare ourselves to others in this endurance marathon called the Christian life, here's what you need to know. You don't know where the people around you started. You have no way of knowing. What do I mean by this? C.S. Lewis writes that there are those people that when they come to Jesus, they are so broken And the dysfunction of life and of sin has crushed them so much that when they start walking with Jesus, they are miles behind you. Their starting point is different than yours. Others of us, we start the Christian life, and pretty much our life has gone well up into that point. And so we're starting at a different place, and we're running at a different pace. But here's what's clear in Scripture. Those who run to the end receive the prize. It's not about who gets there first. It's that we finish. There are no shortcuts. No shortcuts. We must run the race with perseverance and with focus that God has sent ahead of us. I don't know if you know this, but probably the most famous all-time marathon runner is a woman by the name of Rosie Ruiz. I want you to put up the picture. That's Rosie Ruiz. She was the woman that won the Boston Marathon, the 84th Boston Marathon in 1980. She won the race. The problem was is that none of the other runners remember seeing her. When she was asked by some of the other runners what her favorite stretch was, she could not remember where the crowd of women from a women's college would line the road and would cheer exuberantly for the other women that were running the marathon. She couldn't remember. They also asked her a little bit about her training, and as they looked into it, the qualifying marathon that she had run, she had lowered her time by 24 minutes from one marathon to the next in order to win. It wasn't long before two Harvard students came forward and said they had seen her cut into the race through the crowd, and believe it or not, a journalist who was covering the race had talked to her on the subway. Rosie Ruiz, she held that honor for just a few days. And the woman that won never got to experience the accolades of the crowd. So what the marathon people did was they had 3,000 people show up at the finish line four days later. They flew the real winner in from Canada and had her run the last few hundred yards so they could get photographs of her with the clock and the date stamp and everything that they would need in order to honor her appropriately. Her last name is Guru. Isn't it funny that most of us or many of us have heard of Rosie Ruiz, but they've never heard of this woman whose last name was Guru. Here's the simple point to be made. For those of us who run the race, for those of us who follow Jesus and serve others, I will tell you that a life lived for Jesus rarely, if ever, hits the papers. Ever. Oftentimes, the person who's running the race well is unseen unknown, their lives go undocumented, and yet God sees the incredible things they do for his kingdom. And what I want to challenge you with, the race that I am running and the race that you are running is who we're focusing on. We are focusing on Christ. We are running, following him. This is not about us. It's about Jesus. And so as we run this race, please know this. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. What it takes is perseverance and focus. Can we stand together as we close? As the worship team returns... I'd like for you to close your eyes in God's presence. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews writes. And please do something for me. As you now close your eyes, but open your hearts to God. Every time you see a runner running around Charlottesville, I want you to think this thought. How is my endurance and my focus going with Jesus? Let every time you see a group of runners or a solo runner running, use it to spark yourself and ask yourself the question, how is this run, how is this marathon with Jesus going in my life? Am I setting aside every weight that would hinder me? Am I avoiding those things that would so easily entangle me and take on a life of their own and wrestle me to the ground? am I persevering with Christ? No matter what anyone else does, am I persevering with Christ? And am I keeping my focus on Him? Not on how I'm feeling, not on how the people around me are doing in the race, but focusing on Him. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. As we close out our time this morning, I'm going to ask that you would close your eyes again if you haven't already and leave your heart open if you're here today and you realize that you have stopped running you've stopped persevering I want to encourage you in this moment to bring that to Christ for others of us you're running the race but your focus isn't on Jesus you've been looking at other things for others of us You've become involved with something that has taken on a life of its own, and it's entangling you, and you know it. What was fun has begun to become a runaway train. You know to get off that, you're going to need help. Something's going to have to stop the train for you to get off. You need help. If you're here this morning, and that's you, I want you to open your heart to Jesus and bring to Him what it is. If you've stopped running, stopped persevering, confess that to Christ. If your focus has shifted away from Jesus to the things of this world, refocus. And if you're on a runaway train, please, before God, find someone this day Confess to them what you're wrestling with. Confess to them what's entangled you. I believe in this moment, if that's you and you're on a runaway train, you can think of someone right now that you can go to and say, I need help. I can't do this anymore. I need to get off the train. I encourage you, please do that. Don't end up in a train wreck. Listen to the word of God. And allow yourself to be free. As we conclude our service, the worship team's going to begin to sing it as well with my soul. And if you're standing here and it's not well with your soul, you know that it's not, I want to invite you to pray. And for others of us, you might want someone to pray with you. So at this time, the prayer team is coming forward. And they're going to pray with you and pray for you as we begin to conclude our time. So if the prayer team would come forward, if there's any of us here this day and you know that you need prayer, I want you to come forward and to be prayed with, to be prayed for as we conclude our service. Let's worship together as we sing It Is Well With My Soul. thank you for your scripture. Thank you for the present working of your Holy Spirit. God, thank you. You're faithful to us. Before we conclude our service, I've got an announcement that I would like to make and I would really like your attention while I make it. This coming Tuesday night at City Church Central at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a very special meeting or a gathering. This is a gathering where I'm going to be having to deal with something that has arisen at City Church. But I'm asking that you would be at City Church Central if City is your home. I'd like you to be there at 7 o'clock this coming Tuesday evening. And I'd like you come to be there prayed up. It's not anything about my own personal life. It's not anything about the facility or anything as far as building-wise in our future. But there's an issue that I need to deal with. It's what I would call an adult issue. And so I'm asking that you would be there at City Church Central as we're going to be dealing with something as a church family. So if you're married and you both can't be there, I really encourage you one of you to attend. I'm going to be sending out an email this afternoon encouraging people to be there. I also want to say this, that k techs parking lot may be somewhat full. And so we've reached out to the Covenant Church of God, and they've, they're allowing us to park in their parking lot if we need overflow parking. So I want to ask you and encourage you as your lead pastor, would you please give us an hour to an hour and a half this uh, Tuesday evening, 7 o'clock. Please be at City Church Central. Now I want to close with the blessing we close with every week. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May you run your race with perseverance and with focus on Jesus. God bless you. Amen.
2: Just nestle
3: The fun when the pins of life or ransom shed for us, its precious blood. Here is love. in love like mighty rivers poured in and from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed again